The first thing is that owners and managers need to take responsibility for creating an environment in which the team members feel genuinely appreciated for what they do. I mean, if you're a leader on this call and you're saying to yourself, oh, you don't know my employees, they're like kids. If I'm not looking over their shoulder 24, you might as well just pack it up and quit. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience, along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Affordable Vet Care. Looking for a thriving career? Make the change and find your why at Thrive. Now hiring clinical staff. Visit thrivevet.com slash careers today. Hello, Positive Leaders. We are so excited to have the man, the legend, Bash Hallow, owner of Hallow Consulting. Bash is a CVPM and a licensed veterinary technician and an all-around management badass. So, Bash, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. That's such a funny lead-in for someone who was beaten up by Christopher Small in the second grade. (laughs) <laughs> I, could just, I could still see myself on the pavement getting pummeled. So I've, I've come a long way. The man, the legend. I mean, cut to. The man, the legend. Cut to. Ah! <laughs> Christopher Small here yeah. this episode That's now. right. Yeah. Wherever you boy. are, Christopher, <laughs> you know good. Oh, man. So we have a tradition bash on the show where we don't read bios, stu- you know, stuffy bios. Um, tell our uh, listeners about yourself, your background, what you're doing now. Uh, let's get to know Bash. Well, I was born and raised in Altoona, Pennsylvania, many years ago, and I made my way to New York City. And um, I was bartending. And when I, uh, you know, I tell everybody that I came to New York to be a writer, which meant that I was a bartender. And uh, so um, <laughs> like I was, LA. Same yeah, thing. everybody's an actor. <laughs> yeah. So I was, a, I was a bartender and one of the waiters said, uh, you know, that there's a, a, a job open. There's a vet hospital that's opening up right next door to where you live. And I interviewed for that position I, at, the, at the Paradise Cafe. I'm looking out my apartment window to the where it's not there anymore, but where it used to be is still there. And um, I got the job and it was me and like four other misfit toys and one licensed veterinary technician and the owner. And we were off and running in this brand new veterinary practice. And I became, I was a, a sort of a do everything kind of a f- person. And then from there, I, um, I 
it only took me two years, two years to uh, be invited to be the practice manager. That was all it took to get the power in this profession. And um, <laughs> I screwed that up for a little bit and then uh, really pulled my act together and got a, did, did a good job for them and went on to be a regional manager for a Healthy Pet Corporation and then a, an administrator for a large practice in Princeton, New Jersey. And then about 10 years ago, I made the leap to doing work outside of that practice. You know, I'd been hired as an administrator and we were cooking with gas. And then the recession hit and uh, it was a big contraction at the practice. So I was able to pull back on my hours. And during that time, I started to consult for other practices. And, you know, I always tell people this was actually my transition into consulting is that that practice was, I'm telling you, man, that was a trial to work at that place. Not for any particular reason other than it was just big and there's a lot of headache when it's that big. And I, rem- and, I, and I never missed a day of work while I was there. And I lived right next to the practice. And I was just immersed in the tension and anxiety of running that place. And one day I decided I was going to go to Puerto Rico. And I get on the plane and I get off. And you know how when you go to the Caribbean and it's like January and you arrive in your parka and your pasty face, and like you, you're like an alien dropped in <laughs> yep. from some world. Yep. Oh, and, um, and, I draw, and I came out, as soon as I got off the plane and I had reception, my phone rang and it was the practice and it was another problem. And honest to God, I just, I, I just couldn't stand it. And I remember looking up at this uh, apartment uh, building uh, and at the top of the apartment building, it said in Spanish for rent. And I thought to myself, you know, there are, what do they call those? Sunbirds, winter birds. What do they call those people that- Migrate. Yeah, that migrate. I thought I could be that. Why can't I do that? And um, at the time, Gwen Lauder, you probably know her. She was trying to sell her business. And uh, I call, I remember pacing up and down the, Beach, talking to her on the phone, plotting a trip to wherever the hell she lived at the time, San Diego, can't remember. And I was going to go out and talk to her about her business and did. I didn't end up buying it, but that's when I thought to myself, you know what? I can do this. And so ever since then, for long story short, I've been working as a veterinary practice advisor and I get, it's wonderful, man. I get a chance to visit practices all over America and just watch and learn. You know, it's mm-hmm. so ironic that they're bringing me in to learn from me. But really, I should yeah. honestly, I should be paying them because I, I always learn something new and hang my head in shame that it hadn't occurred to me. You know, whatever mm-hmm. it is I'm learning or seeing that it hadn't occurred to me first before looking at what they've done there. So that's yeah, my life. That's, that's huge. And um you know, I, I can't wait to get into because you and Andrea are both consultants. So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna talk a lot about that. Um, Bash, what's a favorite book or podcast or you know continuing education, either conference or meeting or class that you have gone through or taken or, or you know absorbed that's left a really lasting impression on you? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know about that. Uh, so I don't read. You know, I'm sorry that I'm not. Ha- I don't have one of those answers for you. I, I do. Um, I do think that more people should know about the Veterinary Financial Summit that's run by uh, uh, Dr. Phil Selsman and Meredith, jo- Dr. Meredith Jones, because their mission is to bring financial independence to all veterinary professionals. So I really think that more people should know about that conference and what it does for people. Um, I've, I've, I've spoken at it and I benefited from the information that's there. So I think that people should explore that, but I will say this is kind of off the beaten track, but that's, I, I don't care because, um, you know, I feel like veterinary professionals in general are sort of Renaissance people. I don't think that they're particularly, 
you know, they, they're not consumed entirely by veterinary medicine. They like all sorts of things. And I've been on a real history tour over through the pandemic because my big deal was I wanted to make sure that these unprecedented times weren't so damn unprecedented. So I've been on like a history tour of exploring, you know, early America and the Revolutionary War and the French Indian War and ancient Mesopotamia and Egypt and the 12 Caesars and on and on. And that's been my thing over the summer. So I'm afraid I don't have any big management uh, books that I've really leaned on recently. My, I've been uh, immersed in history to try to see if there's a pattern to all this insanity. And I think there is. Tell me why you are a veterinary, and I think you use the word advisor, veterinary business advisor. What inspired you? What made you want to say, this is what's it? Tell me a little bit about your consultant journey. Tell me about your business, your business model, and who benefits from having Hello Consulting on their payroll? You know, I think that many times practice owners say they want a practice manager, but they don't really want a practice manager. They want someone to do all the thing, the things that they find most onerous in their business. And typically that's dealing with malcontents or to try to make broken situations not feel and seem broken when all of us in the building know that it's broken. Yeah. And so right. I, I feel, you know, so you'll see people, you know, you'll see people with very small practices say that they want a practice manager. And I say to them, you know, honestly, when you tell, you know, and I'll say, what do you want this person to do? And they'll list, you know, I want them to do the schedule. I want them to do the ordering or the inventory or whatever the hell they want them to do. And ultimately I say, you know, that's not 40 hours a week. That's like 10 hours a week. That's 12 hours tops. If they're not interrupted 18,000 times while they're trying to do it, that's not a 40 hour a week job. And uh, so I find that uh, the rest of the stuff is that they kind of want somebody, they want a police dog to be uh, walking around the practice and making sure that everybody stays in line. And I just don't think that's an onerous job for that individual that's handed that responsibility. And I don't think it's productive. So I started out, honestly, by when I thought to myself, I could build my own business. I actually started looking at practices that were interested in hiring a, a practice manager, calling them up, finding out about what their needs are, and then really thinking to myself, you don't need a practice manager. You need someone like me that's going to dip in every now and then and give you the high level oversight that you want. And then that's going to be enough for you. Then I can go away and you can have your team members in place uh, uh, to do the rest of the work. So, yeah, right. uh, so when I work with businesses, you know, and I used to, when I, people used to first call me up, they would be like, come in and fix my receptionists yes. or come in yes. and fix my whatever. And my, right. and I tried to do that, but I used to find out that, uh, like the vet that gets the call of, you know, I need you to, I need the vet to dispense some ear cream for my dog because he's got an ear infection. That vet understands I can't look at that ear or I can't think about that ear in isolation. Right. That ear right. is connected to a bigger body and that body is contributing yeah. to how that ear is. So I do mm -hmm. what I call my comprehensive physical exam on mm -hmm. a practice where I review everything. I review a practice's financials. I review all of their HR. I review their web presence. And then I come to their practice and I watch 
watch their team and listen to their team. And, and from there, then I build a treatment plan. Uh, so that's what I typically do. I'll, I, I, I review all of the background information on a practice three years back. I get an understanding of this practice's value and mm -hmm. its opportunity mm -hmm. and its weak spots uh, and then build out a plan. And then from there, we'll build out another uh, a, a work order, a sort of uh, a report on how I can help them moving forward. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think you're right. Uh, many times I think they, people conflate the manager job with kind of a watchdog or a bulldog or, or, a, or a recess teacher with a whistle. And, yeah. yeah. And that is, you know, as you know, we do a lot more. We should do a lot more. Um, you know, I remember uh, basically, I think it was a kind of the height of COVID, you, you did a seminar, you hosted a seminar, it was a panel, and it was really great. There was a bunch of great guests, and you popped in and did some stuff and popped out, and you were talking about efficiency and a little bit of curbside, but also kind of when we open up from curbside. And it got Andrea and I thinking that we want to dig in a little here and talk about burnout. I think that you have a really great perspective, unique perspective on burnout and, and workflow and efficiency in general. So you consult across the country Tell us about burnout and compassion fatigue and COVID overwhelm, like all the things that are going on. What's kind of at the root of it? And what, what are veterinary teams going through right now? I mean, what are you seeing across the country? What are teams struggling with? Um, where is veterinary medicine at right now? Well, I think the, the first place that we should start is that survey that I did in conjunction with Vitus Vet on uh, veterinary stress in America. So it was a national study that we did, that we collaborated on, and it was published in April, and it's on my website. So if anyone's listening, if you wanna go to bashhallow, that's B-A-S-H-H-A-L-O-W.com, you can read, uh, it's, it's on the front page, the link to it. And uh, I think the title of it is Alarming Results from a National Survey on Veterinary Stress. But so as you pointed out, it's probably no surprise to anyone on the call that people have had a lot of stress over the past year. But I think the, the breadth and depth of that stress would surprise people on this call. I mean, one of the things that struck me was that 35% of the people polled, of the vets and the vet techs polled, uh, plan to either quit their current job or leave the profession entirely in three to five years. And I'm, wow. I mean, yeah, and yeah. Then, wow, yikes. Jeez. And so, you know, and I think I think we could talk, we could spend the rest of the hour talking about why that is. There are two things that I think I can kind of chalk up why we're in the pickle that we're in. The first is I don't think it is sane for anyone on this call to expect your team members to constantly behave in a manner that's emotionally mature when your work environment does everything it can to erode on one's emotional and physical well-being. And I think we've always been running like crazy before COVID. And then when you slapped curbside care on it, then, I mean, I think we just really drown. That's why I'm such a big advocate for taking a moment to step back and look at one's workflow and ask whether or not you can make it more efficient. The days of asking your team to suck it up and multitask are over. We're all yep, multitasked agreed. out. No one yeah. can multitask anymore. And Hallelujah. Yeah, and forget about hiring another vet or another licensed veterinary technician. Good luck with that strategy. Not gonna that happen. Is, that's not happening either. So you, yeah. so you have to leverage 
what you got. And you know, it doesn't have to be a, a compromise. It can actually be a win. It can be a step in the right direction. You know, I was on a call the other day with a veterinarian, like so many, that is down a vet or down two vet. In his case, he's down two vets. And you know, he lives in a rural part of the country and I'm sorry, but it just doesn't look good. You know, I, I there's just no one out there, man. I, I don't see us hiring. They're not graduating uh, fast enough. I mean, yeah. I just don't see us hiring. So, you know, you can wring your hands about that, or you can maybe it's some great, wonderful, cosmic billboard from God that's saying, will you stop going down this path of hiring more people? Maybe there's a way to make do with what you got and make more money than you ever did and be and work less. Maybe that such a dream is true. And if, and if anybody's like, you know, poo-pooing at me right now or throwing their computer out the window or deciding to slam their laptop <laughs> shut, I can tell you that I've actually seen evidence of that. I had another- I would say we're yeah. cheering from the stands, Bash. Well, like, I mean, yeah, sign right. me I up. Mean, I'm telling you, you well, I mean, I'm telling you, I, you know, I work with, a, 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 there's a practice that I've worked with um, since I think 2008. And I just love them. The owner's like my brother from another mother band. I just love them. It's called Animal Medical of New City. You should check out their web website, animalmedicalnc.com. That's N as in Nancy, C as in Canary. Charles. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, so, uh, but he was telling me the other day, he goes, I need you to take boarding off my website. I was like, what? What? What are you talking about? He goes, yep. No one wants to do it. No, I, no one wants to do it. I can't get anybody to work it. And frankly, we're making more money without it than we ever did. So get rid of it. And the other thing, you know, he'll report like, you know, they're all getting out at sane hours. They're not taking on all these nutty cases anymore. They're working from eight to five or eight to six like they always used to. They're, they've downsized the breadth of caseload that they see. And as you know, we probably suspected all along, it was that diversity of caseload that was hobbling us to begin with. It was, it looked like big ticket items. It looked like a $3,000 or $4,000 case. And we're like thinking, wow, we're seeing dollar signs. But when you add it all up, when you add up the time and the confusion, because no one has touched this kind of a case in eight months to a year, it, you end up wasting a lot of time, making mistakes, worrying about it. It's better to probably downsize your practice in terms of what you see. And I think that there, you know, many, many practices, I think, are coming to that realization that it might be better to narrow the focus of what it is you do. And, you know, also, uh, you know, so many, I think, practices are stuck in this idea that we've still got to bow and scrape to every client that comes by the by. Well, I don't know if you guys saw the, the article in the New York Times. I think it was two days or three days ago. It was on the cover. You could just Google, go to the New York Times and type in veterinary. I'm sure it'll come up. But they were talking about this explosion of boutique uh, veterinary care yes. that's happening yeah, across America. And it's evidenced here in New York City a lot. And I've been saying it a lot of times. You know, I started out in New York City. We had at the, you know, way back when, we had one corporate practice in New York and they were anathema. It was like you passed that building and you expected to see demons with pitchforks running around it. I mean, no one would, no one would ever entertain the idea of working for a corporate veterinary practice. That was just the worst. And now, you know- side now, that's all it is. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. plus these people, these corporate people are coming in with really fresh, outside of the box ideas. You know, two of the vets that they cited in the Times articles was Bond Vet and another wonderful veterinary that's just down the street from me. It's called Small Door Vet. And from the moment you walk into the veterinary office, it's a completely different experience. 
And again, I would, you know, for those on the call that are like, well, you know, that's not my thing. I'm not about a lot of flashy stuff. It's not just about a flashy presentation to clients. They have entirely transformed the way that business is seen inside that building. And I just think they, it's, it works on so many levels. So I know I'm taking a very long time to answer your question, but I, if you'd like me to go into further detail about the kind of innovation that I've seen that streamlines workflow, I'll be happy to do it. But Well, I've, what I've seen, Bash, and paralleling with what you're talking about is some of these boutique style practices, which I think the same thing is happening on the other coast, because I do see them very much so in California. I have several of my clients are those boutique bougie practices where they have this very small niche. They have a very focused clientele that they're looking. They may or may not be specialty. I have one that's specialty, one that's general practice. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be board certified specialty. They can be general practices. But what I see is that a lot of times these are coming in and they're non-veterinary people per se that are coming up with a business plan, working in conjunction with a veterinarian that then offers or opens or has a boutique bougie kind of practice where it's like you say, some of these, you know, practices, you know, have their nose to the grind to the point where but well, that's not me. I don't want to offer that. That's not how we work. Well, right, because it's a totally different business plan than most other veterinary practices, right? It's it's completely different. And I think it stems from, at least my experience has been, it stems from that they're not veterinary related people that are, they're developing it or have the idea to get go with it. That to me has been interesting to see some of these outside marketing people, I'm, you know, corporate medicine for sure, coming in with that outside perspective. Right. And I, but I guess my point is I don't want people on this call to be thinking of that I'm, I'm siloing veterinary practices into the traditional general practice that we've known for decades now. And these right. new step out of that. Yeah. These yeah. new, these new practices that sort that sort of seem to cater to a more exclusive clientele. What I'm saying is that we're kind of entrenched in this idea of how veterinary medicine should be provided once they get inside that building or even even in general, right? I mean, you could we could pick up a vet tech or a vet assistant or a receptionist from almost any veterinary hospital in America and magically transport them to some other hospital and they would kind of know what the deal is. Right. I mean, isn't that remarkable considering the breadth and size of this country yes. and all of its different needs that we would have such a homogenized approach to care? And yet it isn't really. When you think about there's only a, fi a small set of schools, there's a small set of professors. We have a small set of conferences that we all attend and a small set of speakers like those of us on this call that are constantly educating people over and over yeah. every year. It's no wonder we've settled into such a rut of homogenized ideas, but now you have, an, you have a sea change of, of things that have happened. You've had an entire world that's been tossed up and allowed to fall back down again. We're in an epoch of change. You have a lot of technology that has converged that's really come to the scenes and able to, to assist us with our jobs and get people out of those admin roles. And you have people that are crazy wild nuts about their pets and <laughs> tuned right. in 
am tuned in to a different way of interacting. I mean, anyone who tells me, oh, Bash, I can't, I can't innovate with technology. My clients aren't tech savvy. Oh, you've got to be out of your effing yeah, mind. Yeah, I call BS Have on you? That, yeah. Come on. Are you yeah. nuts? People are freaking using their cell phones. We've all been trans, we're, we're practically on the Starship Enterprise at this point. I mean, all yeah, of us. For sure. It doesn't matter what age. So I think that, um, that really things have converged for us to take a look at what we're doing and stop worrying whether or not you're going to get a pushback. You know, the reason I, I started down that long road of citing the New York Times article is that everybody, I mean, I can't think of a single practice that I've interacted with, hasn't told me that their business hasn't been blowing up over the past year. I mean, you've, if you've got a disgruntled client, I'm not asking you to be rude or mean to your clients, but honestly... You're in a position to call the shots. If you've got somebody that doesn't like or doesn't want to play ball the way that you want to play ball, then I would ask them to politely step aside and yeah. allow the 10 people behind them yeah, that right. want to, you know, that want to get into your practice come in. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about first I want to get into the pandemic and the fact that the sheer volume of clients and patients like you talked about earlier, you know, the one or two doctors down and you just have the sheer volume of cases that you need to see. And I know that you are in practices all over the East Coast and all over the country and you have a very good pulse on the profession especially right now going through COVID. So let's talk about some of these inefficiencies that you say and how we can better handle the sheer volume of what we're experiencing during the pandemic. How do we start to move forward, almost reopening? I mean, California is going to reopen. I know a lot of um, states already have. I have friends in Texas. They've already reopened. We're kind of getting away from this curbside and getting back into the practice and opening things up. But there's just so much volume. I mean, most of my practices that... And people that I talk with, they're booking appointments two and three weeks out. Yeah. Like how how do we get past these inefficiencies and start to to get back into lobbies and get back into practice and be more organized about it? Well, you know, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, preface this by saying, I, if if you're on this call and you're listening and you got your arms crossed, like yeah, shit, tell me, Hallow, I'm telling you right now, I'm gonna <laughs> I am going to give you some ideas. But uh, for those people, I don't want you turning your nose up at my ideas without giving them some thought or at least doing me the benefit of, of talking about it on your team side. I mean, are we in agreement that the status quo is not sustainable? So if you right. don't like- we are. Yes. yes exactly. If you don't like my ideas, then I don't need you turning your nose up at them. I have, I've not been hallucinating or high. I have seen these things work in other practices and, and so they are workable solutions. But if you don't like my ideas, I don't think the answer is, well, that we didn't like that. We'll wait till something better, a better idea yeah, comes along. definition of insanity, right? Yeah, you've got to- your head up against the wall. Yeah, you've got to- something to change. You and your team have to meet and agree that it's your, the, the status quo is not sustainable. And, the, and here's some jumping off points for us to think about. Maybe we can build on those. So that said, I'm going to say some things. I'm sure it's going to piss some people off. But, I, but you know, that's, I guess that's what the purpose of this podcast Let's is. Let's hear them, Bash. You so go. The, so the first thing is, I mean, so we got, don't let me forget about technology in general. But so the problem is we don't have enough vets and we don't have enough vet techs. We've got to find a way to leverage that, those people's time the best we can. And one huge time sucker that I don't think has a lot of payoff 
and you're, forgive me, vet techs that are on the phone, but the history taking by vet techs, the, you know, the, the, the pre-visit questionnaire or the, yeah, the history right. taking is a big old waste of time. I used to love doing it. I love, I've got the gift of gab. I love talking to pet owners. I love meeting pets. And there's nothing, for me, there was nothing sweeter than going into a room and getting the, getting the sense that I was a respected part of the medical team and that I was taking a history of this pet and feeling like I was getting a really thorough background on this pet and priming the doctor for success in the exam. That said, there's too many instances where that history taken taking is not being done effectively, you end up giving a, a pet owner, you know, you're, you're, you're walking in there's a tech and you're inviting this pet owner to talk about their pet. Well, that's like throwing gas on a fire. I mean, they can, that, that pet owner can yeah. talk about their pet for forever. 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah, so we're forever. going to say, so what's going on with bingo? And we're, and we're going to get a 10 minute dissertation about what's going on with bingo and only maybe extract at the whole end of it, maybe, write two or three bullet points that are actually relevant to the exam. So, you know, again, I'm not dismissing what vet techs know and what they can do, but I honestly, I just don't see the point of it. They're going in there to spend all that time to just confirm the presenting complaint or do, I don't know what, check, I don't know, what are we checking? Any sneezing, coughing, vomiting, diarrhea? I mean, come on. How relevant is that? And then they end up just, to the owners repeat it to the doctor anyway when the doctor right. walks in the room. And I feel like, why are we doing this? Yeah, it's just, I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's purposeful. So if you were to think about that, if you were to eliminate that, you're looking at what, two hours, three hours out of your day, maybe you can save from, uh, that you could shave off your appointment time. And um, I have been recommending that vet techs and doctors and assistants actually go in the room together. Now, that is a bit challenged as we transition to indoor care. I know that I just left a sure. practice yesterday where yeah. we have, we're still concerned about how many people are going to be in a room. And I think that those concerns are merited. But, you know, once we finally get rid of this, with this thing is fully behind us, you know, I think we can go back to a tech, a doctor and an assistant in a room. The assistant is holding the veterinary technician is taking medical notes and the mm -hmm. doctor is full on present. So mm -hmm. Mr. Halla, we got Rye. I understand the presenting complaint is that Rye's been losing a little weight and has some diarrhea. What else is, or whatever we're going. And that doctor is full present. They're not divided between trying to find where the hell the medical history is in the computer and distracted by five different other things when they're in there. Mm -hmm. They can just focus on the client, spend time listening to the client, examining the patient, verbally transmitting the findings to the tech who's entering them into the computer. And mm -hmm. then when they're done, stand up, look around the room and say, okay, so based on everything that ever, you told me, Mr. Hallow, based on what I've seen with Rye, this is the game plan. And everybody's present to hear it. Right. The doctor right. doesn't have to go running down to treatment to find that person and reiterate it and possibly forget like, oh shit, I forgot to tell them right. to do a 40X too or whatever. Everybody's present to hear what the treatment plan right. is. Right. And then the doctor can excuse himself. So this is Emily. This is Alice. They're in charge from here on out. They're going to pull the blood for the 40X on Rye. They're going to do the, uh, you know, they're going to get some meds together for Treatment. you. Yeah. They're going to uh, book your next appointment because I want to see her next week. And they're going to take your payment. Anything else, Mr. Hallow? Take care. Great to see you. That doctor's out of there. Yeah. She, can, she or he can go back to the desk and review the notes. Right that the tech has put into the computer and prepare for the next exam. And then the two technicians can finish everything else in the room. Right. And I also recommend not taking that damn pet to treatment. We don't need it. 
I mean, I, I know that people are, I, every time I say this, texts are like, well, the, 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 the pet behaves differently in the treatment. Ah, bullshit. You know, sometimes it's true. We need to take the pet out of the room for some reasons to pull the blood. But for the most, most times, it's because you're afraid to pull the blood in, the, in front of the client because you're not going to hit watching. the vein or right. whatever. Yep. And They're you know what? State. Just sweat. Yeah. Just sweat out the first couple. You, don't worry. You'll get better at it. And it's a wonderful time to show that you're the expert. Why do you need yeah. to go back in mm -hmm. the back and show how to do fear free? Do fear free in front of the client and impress the hell out of them that you know what you're yeah. doing. So I think that everything should be done in the room. I think that we should be scheduling the next appointment in the room and collecting the money in the room. Uh, uh, so that's my big thing. I mean, I, we can stop. I'll just stop there. Any questions on your part, comments, concerns about that plan? No, I think I it's mean, great. Yeah, as a technician, I would say I'm not terribly offended uh, to, to move that out. I think that technicians, and, and again, technicians on the managers on the call might disagree too, but I think that we feel more utilized and um, more experts in the nursing skills like blood draws, catheters, fluids, anesthesia, not taking a history from an owner. Uh, you know, so I, I don't have any mm -hmm. issue with that at all. I think that's great. I think it actually moves the technician um, rather than kind of a, like a secretary taking notes yeah. on the history for the doctor and then reporting to them. I love the idea of Ash, if I'm in there from the first minute taking the medical records, and then I am delegated the rest of the nursing tasks from the doctor who spurted out the plan for the next phase. I think that handoff is much different than here's the cute assistant who's going to write, some, you know, check off some boxes on a form, and then you never see them again. And yeah. all that does is portray the vet techs are cute assistants, right? They're not actually true nursing professionals. So I think that's brilliant. I I, I love it. You know, and I, and I want to add yeah. to that... David, and thank you. I'm glad you guys uh, both like that idea because I've seen it work and I think it, I think it yes, works great. Yes, I agree. The efficiency there is But fantastic. you know, I always say that we don't screw customer service up as individuals. We screw customer service up in the handoff. So if you think about the old way of doing things, the client walks in, checks in with the receptionist, gives the receptionist a little bit of information about additional things that they may want done in the exam. And we rely on that receptionist to pass that information onto the tech. Oftentimes it's dropped and, and service falters or the client will tell something to the technician. Oh, and by the way, I want rise anal glands expressed or I want the nails trimmed. And that technician or assistant will fail to transmit that information to the doctor. And on and on and on. It's because we fail to pass on information from one to another where the service right. experience falters. When we're able yeah. to keep everything contained in that room, everybody hearing the same thing and hearing it one time from one person, I think you're more likely to limit the chances of those communication, that the, drop communication. Yeah. yeah. The breakdown. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, Bash, listen, I appreciate it. That's been really, really good info. And I think that whether you call it, uh, I've, I've heard a, what was a recent, uh, Z-Dog MD did a thing, he called it moral, what was it, moral failure, something like that, where, you know, we we as healthcare providers and, and human healthcare providers work in kind of a broken system. And so we've been kind of stabbed in the ego over and over, right? Like we go into this to take care of animals and, and we spend a lot of money and we have a lot of debt and et cetera, et cetera. And then you go in and you're kind of working in this overworked kind of toxic system where you may or may not have, you know, appreciation from, uh, at least in our profession, on the, on the side of the pet owner. And then and you've got that kind of also layered on to crazy amounts of work, 
high workload, inefficient systems, inability to adapt quickly or or pivot. You know, we have these kind of entrenched entrenched things. And I think, and then compassion fatigue. And, you know, I think it's kind of a lot. I think it's kind of like you're eating a plate from a buffet with some, you know, prime rib. You've got some, you know, mashed potatoes. You've got a slice of chocolate cake and you get some sushi. Like it's all of these things that the profession is really struggling with. And one of the things that we know is that, uh, you know, really highly engaged employees kind of have some resiliency to, to burnout. So how do you work with veterinary teams, Bash, uh, in, in regards to engagement? What's your what's your thoughts on, um, you know, kind of engagement leading to, you know, empowerment leading to, I wouldn't say fixing burnout, but some some level of resiliency. I mean, forget COVID. COVID's a, you know, once in a hundred years, you know, even the most resilient, amazing, passionate vet tech got burned out. But if we're talking about coming back into this, dare I call it, new normal environment, let's say we're on a either modified curbside or we rip the masks off and people are coming in the building and we're kind of back to where we were, but we're going to be facing what I think is just an insanely busy profession forever now. I think that we've really, I think there's a huge, you know, much larger demand now. How do we get teams engaged or, or promote engagement or connect with our veterinary teams so that when we're faced with workflow stuff, which is, you know, inherently veterinary medicine is busy, right? You've got a check-in and you've got this and a computer and a blood draw and a machine and la la la. How do we keep the staff going? And yeah, that's all basically the means to an end. Like, I know why I'm here. I've got to get the blood in the machine because I'm doing X. So therefore, the frustration in the machine isn't crippling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love I love that you bring up resiliency because I, I love the idea of emerging on the other side of, of this and any other um, challenge that we've had in our lives with more resiliency to it, not allowing these things to defeat us, but to work our way through it and be stronger on the other side. The first thing is that owners and managers need to take responsibility for creating an environment in which the team members feel genuinely appreciated for what they do. I mean, if you're a leader on this call and you're saying to yourself, oh, you don't know my employees, they're like kids. If I'm not looking over their shoulder 24, you might as well just pack it up and quit. If you think that little of your team, you can damn well bet you that they don't have a very big perception of you either, or that you've just, I mean, I doubt this is true. You probably, you've maybe hired the wrong people and are not bought into your mission. But you genuinely need to like the people that you're working with and really see them, if not as diamonds, at least as diamonds in the rough, and enjoy participating in their success and their growth. I mean, that is, there is no better high. There's no better, you don't have to, you don't have to have a thank you jar. You don't have to have profit sharing. You do have to have money. But once they reach a level that they're able to make ends meet, the most important thing to your team member, you really want to, really want to pour gas on your fire at work. You really want to wake up to the individual actions that your team members are doing that are making your effing business fly. And they're doing it all the time. I see them. I see them when I come to your practice. I see them going out of their way. If you were to see that and genuinely acknowledge it, I can tell you you're going to do a lot for resiliency at your practice. And the other thing that team members need to do is they need to take responsibility for their own happiness and they need to pay attention to the actions and thought processes that they do that are detrimental to their own mental well-being and to the, the mood and vibe of our practice. You know, too many times we have this idea that we're gonna go into the treatment area and we're gonna bitch about whatever it's gonna be. We're gonna bitch about a coworker, we're gonna bitch about an owner, we're gonna vent. 
Well, you know, in the absence of having clients in the building, we've created nine to 10 to 12 hour a day venting sessions in our practice. There's no reset. At least in the before times, we would be in the back bitching about whatever. The, you know, is every client in the world an asshole or whatever we're going to say? And then we would go into treatment or we'd go into an exam room and we'd be like, a on new stage, puppy. Right. Oh, well, Put your wonderful. smile face on. Yeah. So you have yeah. a reset. You're, you're changing your mindset. But now we're just going from the treatment to one-on-one -on -one discussions about what clients, what what assholes clients are. You know, we're it's a it's a twelve-hour bitch session, yeah, and okay. we are polluting the minds of everybody in that building. It's not like you know, it's not like we go back to treatment and we say, is it just me or is that every client in the world an asshole? You know, there's no one in the back that ever says, oh, I don't know. I kind of like clients. <laughs> you know, no one ever gets a chance to voice that. <laughs> right. Everyone has to. Every, in, everyone in has to want. Everyone has to one-up it. Oh, you're telling me. Guess what? So-and-so. You know, the next thing you know, you're reinforcing a completely negative, false narrative that I honestly believe colors the rest of your day. So people need to be tuned in to bad behaviors like venting, um, like stress bombing. You know, so many times I see this with practice managers all the time. They'll be concerned about a failure. Did you hear what happened to Mr. Hallow? No, what happened to Mr. Hallow? Well, I guess what you did is you forgot to give him a receipt and then he got the wrong receipt and now he's really pissed off. And I guess he called Dr. Mark and now he's really pissed off. And I, 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 I don't know, man, I think Mr. Hallow is about ready to lose his mind. You've just stress bombed that employee. We haven't helped the situation at all. And a all. bunch of pointing fingers. Right. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just no, give them the receipt. no, yeah, done no positive value. Yeah. Right. It just right. breaks, breaks the whole team. Breaks. And there's countless examples of that. So I do believe that people need to take control over the thoughts in their head. They need to recognize dynamics that happen inside the team that prevent you guys from succeeding. And it's a lecture, actually, it's a race-approved lecture that I do. So if you're on the call and you'd like me to do this lecture for your team or your group or whatever, it's something I've done for, a, a, you know, so uh, did this to great success for a group of NBA practices in the East and we'll probably do it out on the West and some other corporate uh, groups. They've loved it. So if you, you know, private practice or corporate, if you want to do it, I think it's a helpful, helpful thing to wake up teams to, collective practices that we do together that don't work. And of course, the stuff that does work, things like togetherness, things like huddles in the morning or the afternoon, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which sort of prime people for the rest of the caseload that's coming up for the next two to three hours and success. You know, David, you asked about what makes us feel good, what gets us engaged. Nobody likes to leave their day feeling like they barely made it through. You know, they want to feel part of a collective effort that was successful at delivering great care. And that's not easy, given the fact that we have a business plan that whatever that fucking phone rings and says we're supposed to do, we do. Doesn't matter. It's yeah. a basket of kittens on the front front porch. It's a, it's a hit by car. It's mm -hmm. a euthanasia. It's a client that can't even open up her pills. Whatever that phone says we're supposed to do, we're supposed to accomplish it in the next 12 hours. We've already got all the, all the odds stacked against us. We have to do our very best as managers and leaders to try to organize as best we can a team approach to what's going to come at us over the next three to four hours. Otherwise, we're really going to drown. So I want to jump in here, Bastion, and ask, like, okay, so we're recording this on Friday, right? And this is, let's just say, a manager comes in Monday morning 
after hearing this episode and they say, okay, I, I've heard a lot about efficiency and I've heard a lot about um, promoting engagement with our teams. So give me one thing that a manager can do tomorrow, one to promote engagement and one to um, be more efficient within their practice. Give us something that we can take back that's tangible to start Monday morning. Well, look, I know you want a quick, quick little answer. I mean, can I, you're not going to, you're going to hate this answer. I'm telling you the first thing, can everybody just stop and think for one second? Can everybody just stop? Can we just stop and take a breath and be thoughtful? We've all been running around like chickens with our heads cut off. I understand it's busy, but especially owners and leaders, we have to take a fucking breath and think we have to be thoughtful about what we're trying to accomplish with the team that we have at hand and ask ourselves, is there a way to improve? We've had an hour discussion about what that could possibly be. Maybe that's a jumping off point, but I think the first step is to be thoughtful. If you want more resources, please, I've, I've written ad nauseum on this topic, so go to my website, bashhallow.com. I mean, in terms of efficiency, there is a lot of plug and play apps out there that are already doing efficiency for you. AirVet, Televet, uh, you know, uh, Vetstoria, uh, there's policy advisors or another. I mean, I could go on and on about the great Snout ID is another one. Great uh, uh, technology that's out there that can help people, all of which is mentioned in, in the uh, written, written stuff that I've done. And, um, oh, about engagement. Engagement. And, and I'm telling you, I mean, it, again, Andrew, I don't know, it's going to sound too simple, but it's, it's so true. I mean, it's, it's right there in front of your nose. You want an engaged team. You need, as a, as a leader, whether you're, and you're a leader, whether you like it or not. If you're a licensed tech, you're a doctor, uh, you're a senior tenured member of the team, and certainly if you're an owner, you're a leader, whether that's, come, whether that's a title you've been given or not you're a leader in that practice. You need to open up your eyes to what the staff members are doing around you and acknowledge a good job when you see it. I always say that if we had a practice full of dogs, we would behave entirely different towards those dogs than we do our team members. We're constantly remonstrating our team members for things that they've done wrong. If we were training dogs, we would never do that. We would right. constantly yeah, reinforce wow. what good things they've done. And I can promise you that I've as hard as it sometimes has been, and I have as hard, hard time at this as anybody on this call. Look, I know how aggravating it can be to work with some people <laughs> on a 12-hour basis after about the seventh or eighth hour. I'm sure of it. I can get a bug up my rear end about anyone. But I'm telling you, I'm pr <laughs> I've practiced what I've preached. Look for ways that your team members are actually trying to help you. Perhaps not as good as you th think that you would do it, but in their own way, as you applaud that, you will take that person on a journey towards helping you build, build your business better and certainly keep them engaged. Absolutely. Preach it. I love it. If you could give just one piece of advice to either bash as the younger self getting into management or to any of our managers listening, what would that one piece of advice be? It would be that you don't judge yourself by the mind. This is going to make any, you know, if you're prone to vomiting. So if you're prone to vomiting, you may want to lower the volume on your control right now. <laughs> or maybe you want to pull a waste can close to you just in case, you know, you want to pull something up. But it's going to be I'm, that I, good, huh? I, I, I'm going to stand by this. I'm going to stand by it. So look, I'm as prone to vomiting in my mouth as anyone on this call. But I'm going to tell you, 
uh, you don't measure your success by the mileposts that you pass. It is about the journey. I know that sounds nauseating, but it's true. You cannot, you cannot continue to judge yourself by the successes and the failures that you have moment to moment through the day. And certainly as a leader, that's not what this is about. It is about the long journey that you are taking your team on. It, that's what you have to think about. And if I could go back, that's what I would fix. I was too consumed with those individual goals. And when Today. I saw that mm-hmm. I wasn't, yeah, and when I saw that I wasn't meeting them, that's when I started to get a bug up my rear end. That's when I started to become more stressful. That's when I became more irritated. And, and I, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. I made those, I made those negative things more likely to happen yeah. because I was behaving poorly. Twitch and, you live uh, and die by. Yeah. Yeah. And so you cannot do that. You have to really think about, and it's too bad that we live in a world, you know, especially your high functioning veterinarians who've had an entire life of good grades, get the grades, achieve, achieve, where success is regularly rewarded and failures are regularly frowned upon. And that's just not real life. The truth of the matter is any person on this call with any merit whatsoever has had most of that, has gained most of that merit and most of that skill from flubbing up, from screwing up. What we learned from our mistakes. That's right. So you cannot as a man, that's what I would go back and I would teach myself if ever I would listen. I mean, that would be the second thing. How do you yeah, find right. that? How do you, get a, how do you get away? How do you break? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think back on all the people that tried to help me out and how I was so dismissive of them. I cringe. Yeah. So this is one of the best parts of the show, Bash, I'm going to say. We have all had these encounters, either with clients or team members or practice owners or whoever it may be, that literally in the moment just make you want to like palm slap your forehead, eyes pop out like pugs, chin hit the ground. Seriously, you cannot make this shit up. Tell me about a time where you have had this crazy encounter. Uh, obviously, protect the innocent, so change the names, right? Tell me about your, like, you can't make this shit up story that you've experienced in our profession. One time, I was a manager at a business where the leading doctor, he was practically a sadist. He was one of the cruelest people I've met. I, he, I don't know what, you know, I, to his credit, I met him not too many years ago, and I remember him, he apologized to me. Not because I was, I was rarely the victim of his, his behavior. He would, tip, he, was, he would typically pick on the weakest members of the team. And he was just, his behavior was just terrible, terrible. And um, we used to have this one guy who was sort of dithering. He was kind of like... Um, a misfit toy, you know, he was, he, he sort of stuttered a lot and, and he would bungle the most simple things that you gave him to do, but he always tried very hard. And I liked him. Uh, and and uh, to my point about saying about how you like someone and you see the wins and you focus on that rather than on their failures and their shortcomings, you really build this person up. And this person gave his Talk about his engagement. I mean, he was genuinely engaged in the assignments that I gave him because I genuinely liked him and approved of his efforts. And one time, but but he, but the owner of the the leader of this business was very bullying towards him, and all of the technicians took their cue from the owner, and they would be bullying towards sure. him as well. That's how it goes, right? 
Yep. So yeah. he was recovering a German shepherd after surgery. And he was sitting in the cage with the German shepherd. And he was stroking the German shepherd. And the shepherd was kind of whining as it's coming out of anesthesia. And the veterinarian barked, uh, no pun intended, at this kid and yelled at him while he was doing it and remonstrated him for some business that he had been doing in the cage. And when he did that, the dog woke, jerked, and bit this man in the hand. And the bite was so bad Ooh. that that he was, wow. the guy was permanently, permanently disabled in his hand. Oh, no. And oh, I've man. never, I've never, ever, ever forgotten that. Of course, there was all kinds of stuff that happened after that, and um, you know, uh, which I won't go Jeez. into. But yeah. you know, I will tell you that that person is now a very successful and well-regarded manager at a practice, at another, not that practice, at another practice. So you know, oh. that man was defined by how he was treated. At this practice, he was bullied and not well liked mm -hmm. by the senior members of the team. Then everybody took their cue off him. And so that was his reputation. But, but mm -hmm. outside of that building where he was respected and looked upon as somebody that could do well, and certainly he always did well for me, he, he was right. another individual. And so that's the story hmm. that I would like to mm -hmm. tell you. I've never forgotten it. And I find I it bet. very Lasting telling impact. on so many levels. Yeah. 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 Thank you. My gosh. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So, Bash, we are uh, approaching the end of the show. And in this section, we like to do what's called our rapid fire, which is a set of questions that are, you know, kind of kind of hard hitting, a little deep. Uh, do you need any, any prep or are you ready to rock no, and roll? No, go for it. All right. So, Bash, tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. It, when I was an administrator for a large hospital, that was an epic failure. I wasn't the only one that, that contributed to the failure, but I didn't help matters. It's probably a time that I look back on that I, I wish that I would have had more insight, more understanding of how to fix that. It was broken on so many levels, but I certainly contributed to the brokenness of it. And I wish that I'd had the bandwidth to figure out how to be better at that. Tell me about your proudest moment. Ongoing success I have with my betterment. I'm not defeated by my failures. I'm not defined by my failures. I, so I don't have any one particular success thing, except is that I really do have the ability, I don't know what it is, uh, 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 maybe uh, sort of crazy, unfounded optimism. But I regularly get up, I dust myself off, and I continue to move forward. I'm most proud of that. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love, I honestly love the vets that I work with. I honestly believe they are Renaissance thinkers. I love talking to 
I mean, veterinarians specifically, but I also like many in our profession, I just find the diversity of the things that they're interested in fascinating to me. And I love that. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Well, I see a therapist, uh, you know, which I do think is important. You have a, some sort of sounding board, a wise sounding board to help you get perspective on things. And I work at my mental well-being. I think that all of us go through periods in our lives where we find ourselves slipping into thought patterns or behaviors that we know are not good for us. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any kind of work guilt in that balance? Less and less. I know, I've learned, that if I don't want to do something, uh, making myself sit in front of the computer to do it is probably not helpful. I'm better off just blowing it off and doing what I want to do and come back to that project when I have fire under my rear end and fire in my belly to do it. And I'm very fortunate in my life that I'm often given a chance to do things that really play to my strengths. So I have, I've worked at that, I've worked on those things so long that I've got a good sense of I can shuffle this over here and move this around here. So I'm constantly rearranging what's on my desktop, so to speak, in my life so that I make sure that things get done. But also, if it's not, if it, for whatever reason, inspiration is failing me or I'm doing something and it's not right, I will not sit there and beat myself up about it. It doesn't do any good. Sitting there for another two hours is not going to make it any better. It's better. I go outside and feed the chickens or dig a new row of asparagus or do something and then inspiration will hit and then I'll go back and fix it. What keeps you up at night, things that kind of stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your business or in the profession? Well, I certainly don't know what's coming around the corner. I don't know. There's a lot of change and um, I like change because I think in change there's a lot of opportunity. But I don't know what's going to happen with the economy uh, coming up. I feel like there's a correction in the near future that I'm concerned about. And I think that I'm worried about, and this sounds so crazy, but I am worried about sort of global cohesion coming unraveled. I don't think that we've seen the end of the ramifications of the pandemic. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? I'm naturally a get out of bed kind of a guy and hit, hit the floor running. I like it. I like my work. I like it. I just do. I like... Uh, I love it. So I, I don't know. That, that's always come naturally to me. I don't have to make myself get up. I want to get up. If I've had a good night's sleep, and often I do, thank God, I, I'm ready to roll. Have a breakfast, have a cup of coffee. I immediately start into work. I like it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bash. Thank you, Bash. This has this been so wonderful. We cannot believe we got the Bash Hallow right? on the podcast. <laughs> So thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. Well, I love what you guys are doing. I'm so glad that you're doing it. I honestly believe it's going to be very helpful for people. So it's, yeah, and I'm glad so. you know, this it. is a Great. wonderful oh, way you. for us to connect. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. 
check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree David Liss and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.